John chapter 16, you should be there. And from the Gospel of John chapter 16, I want to direct your attention to the words given to us in verse 33. John chapter 16, verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And taking the first statement in hand, namely, these things have I spoken unto you, we find the context of these words spoken by Jesus, as well as the purpose behind Jesus speaking these words to his disciples. Beginning with the context, we find that the words of verse 33 summarize all that Jesus has spoken to his disciples in John chapters 14, 15, and 16. You'll remember that what is given to us in these three chapters are the final teachings of Christ to his disciples on the night before his crucifixion. John chapters 14 through 16 record for us Jesus' journey from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane and the final words of encouragement, exhortation, warning, and spiritual guidance He will give to these 11 men before He is taken from their presence. And when Jesus says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in Me ye might have peace, He is referencing everything that He has spoken to them thus far in this discourse beginning in John chapter 14. The promise of heaven, the blessing of prayer, the assurance of the Spirit's coming, the spiritual benefits of abiding in Jesus the vine, have all been spoken by Jesus to the disciples so that they might have an inward enduring peace in their hearts. What Jesus says in verse 33 is the climax of all that Jesus has spoken to them thus far. And this leads us to consider why Jesus is concerned about these men having peace. These 11 men have a credible testimony of faith, don't they? And from what we are told in Scripture, they are all true believers who have been justified by faith knowing peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And having been born again, they know Jesus as their Savior. They know Jesus to be the Prince of Peace. They've experienced the peace which flows from the gospel of peace. So we ask the question, what is the purpose of Jesus speaking these things for their peace? Well, if you will go back and read the entirety of what Jesus says in these three chapters carefully, you will find that Jesus knew that these men were struggling to maintain peace in their hearts, minds, and souls. If you will, look back to John chapter 14, verse 1. And in John chapter 14, verse 1, you will find that Jesus begins his discourse by saying, let not your hearts be troubled, teaching us that their hearts are troubled. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus once again presses them with the words, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 
turning to John chapter 15, we read that Jesus prepares their minds for persecution that will come their way for being his followers. In John chapter 16, he continues to speak on the theme of coming persecution and notes in verse 6 that in their hearing of these things, sorrow has filled their hearts. And look at what Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 22. Jesus says, and ye now therefore have sorrow. Which leads us to ask, why is this their disposition? What has caused them to be troubled in their hearts, fearful regarding the future, and struggling to be at peace in their souls? And the simple answer is, they are sad that their teacher, their master, their Lord, their friend whom they love, is leaving them after three pleasant and joy-filled years. And the multi-layered answer is, these disciples are distressed about how they will carry on in life and ministry. They are struggling to understand everything that Jesus is speaking to them. They do not fully understand every concept about Him dying and the Spirit coming. They cannot wrap their mind around Jesus' need to be crucified They know theologically that He is the Lamb of God. He is the promised Messiah who will be slaughtered, as Scripture says, but rationally thinking, humanly speaking, they are trying to cope with everything that Jesus is saying. And let's not belittle their circumstances. The disciples' whole world is about to be turned upside down. Remember, the disciples willingly gave up their occupations to follow Jesus. And Jesus, from that time, has graciously provided for them up to this point. Jesus has been their protector. Jesus has been their encourager. Jesus has been their guide. Jesus has been their shepherd. Following Jesus is all that they've known. And now what? Of course they are prone to confusion, anxiousness, and sadness. And we would be too. Or shall I say, sometimes we find ourselves in the same dispositions when our circumstances change and fear, doubt, and anxiety come knocking on the door of our life. And I hope you are beginning to see here that Jesus meets His followers exactly where they are. He meets us in our fallen condition as frail humans who struggle. Though we may appear to look like strong, stable, successful leaders, like these rough, courageous fishermen and tax collector, listen, Jesus knows our frame, and He remembers that we are dust. Jesus knows our temptations. He knows our worries. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what keeps us up at night. He knows our doubts. He knows our failures. In fact, Jesus knows everything about us. Jesus knows what we think about, what we question, what we contemplate, even when others do not know. And see here in the text that knowing all these things about the disciples, 
Jesus doesn't despise them. And Jesus, knowing everything about us, Jesus doesn't despise us. Knowing our inward struggles, Jesus seeks to comfort rather than condemn. Jesus seeks to give reassuring counsel rather than rough criticism. He seeks to encourage our hearts rather than leaving us in our despairing condition. And notice again what word of encouragement Jesus gives, not only to the disciples then, but to his people today in verse 33 of John chapter 16. Listen, men, Jesus is saying, all that I have spoken to you in this upper room discourse as we are journeying into the garden, before I am to leave your presence, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. And Jesus is saying, I am telling you all these things for your benefit and your blessing. I am speaking to you so that you might have light in the midst of darkness. So that you might have hope in the midst of hopelessness, so that you might have strength in the midst of weakness, so that you might have comfort in the midst of distress, so that your hearts might be calm when the troubles of life beat upon your soul. Now, having said these words in their context, I want us to note two very important features of this peace that Jesus gives in the midst of troubles. Notice with me first, verse 33, the source of peace. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. Did you catch the source of peace? The source of peace is entirely and exclusively in the person of Jesus Christ. And again, if you will go back and read the words of John chapter 14 through 16, you will find Jesus iterating the concept of believing, looking, abiding, obeying, loving Him predominantly. John chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also, catch it, in Me. John chapter 15, verse 4, Abide in Me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. John 15, verse 7, if ye abide in me. And my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. And the final words given to us in verse 33 of chapter 16 caps off Jesus' teaching with one final reminder that the Christian life is nothing more than abiding in Christ. Well, what does this mean? This means then that we continue to live in Him. That we draw strength from Him. That we find our sufficiency in Him. 
This means that we look to His Word for wisdom. We we depend upon His Spirit for guidance. We look to Him for the answers to our problems. To abide in Christ is to walk in fellowship with Christ. It brings within it the reality of union and communion. We walk with Him not just as our Lord, but as our friend. And we enjoy His companionship not just as our Master, but as our loving Father. And let me just clarify that this abiding in Christ begins at the moment of salvation. It begins when we first become followers of Christ. It begins when we know Jesus as He is, the way, the truth, and the life, the only mediator between God and men, the one who became sin for us, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God, catch it in Him. To know Christ savingly, to be born again by God's Spirit, to experience the new birth is to be engrafted in the vine. And this is not something that we do for God. This is something that God does for us. When we come to see our inability to save ourselves, when we come to that place where we recognize the realities of our sinful condition before God and our desperate need of a Savior, when we cry out to God for mercy, when we look to Him for grace, when we turn in repentance and faith, trusting in Christ alone, it is then that we come to know saving peace. It is then that we come to know the power of the gospel of peace. It is then that we come to know Jesus as the prince of peace. And this is the process of conversion. God takes away our burden of guilt. God calms our heart about the fear of death. The Lord Jesus Christ satisfies the wrath of God for us that we deserve and the war that we once raised against God in our sin and in our rebellion ceases. In Christ, we are no longer enemies, but friends. In Christ, we are not running from God, but to God. In Christ, we live not for ourselves, but for Him. And listen, this is the way of peace. The way of peace is the way of the gospel and the way of Peace and of the gospel is the way of Christ. And Jesus here continues by saying that the way of continued peace is the same. You've come to Christ once for salvation. You've experienced peace in your heart that has come by salvation. But you still live in this world of chaos and confusion. How can you know peace the same way you knew peace at first? By worshiping, adoring, obeying, loving Christ. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. And notice, it does not say that in yourself you might have peace. It does not say in being moral, you might have peace. It does not say in religion, you might have peace. We do not read that peace comes in a church. We do not read that peace comes in a program or class or in other people. No, we read that true peace is only found in Christ. 
Let me pause here and ask you, do you know this peace? Have you come to know Christ as your Savior? I didn't ask if you came to know Christ as a Savior, but your Savior. Has there been a time in your life where you've been confronted with your sinfulness and you've cried out to God for cleansing and you've experienced a real, recognizable, transformational, lasting peace in your heart? And I'm not talking about going to church for a time. I'm not talking about you reforming your life and becoming more religious. I'm not even referring to you acknowledging certain biblical truths in an intellectual sense. I'm asking, has God in Christ given you the assurance that everything is well in your soul? Has God opened your spiritual eyes to see the wickedness of your own heart and your need for peace? Has God saved you from the raging waters of fear and anxiety as it relates to sin, death, and hell, bringing a calm to your heart and mind? That's what we mean by saving peace. And if you say yes, let me then follow up by asking, when was that time? When did you first come to know Christ? What were the circumstances? And then let me follow up with that question and ask, was it lasting? This peace that you seek to have, was it lasting? Why do I ask that? I ask it because when true saving peace comes, it comes only once and it leads to a life of peace. And there there are many people holding on to a false hope of peace. Now, I don't mean that there will never be trouble in this life as Christians, but I do mean in the midst of trouble, we will have an assurance of peace. We will have an anchor in Christ who holds us. We will have a place of refuge when the storms come. So when you examine yourself and you say you know peace, did it last? And in the parable of the sower, in the parable of the seed, we see it's only that seed that lasts and produces true fruit that is true faith. What did the prophet prophesy in the Old Testament? That there were those who say that they had peace, peace, when there was no peace. So I press these things and I press them often and I press them weekly because it relates to your soul. It relates to your salvation. Do you have peace? And if you've never had such a time in which you've come to know peace, I pray that it might be today. I pray that it might be at this moment. I pray that you would look to Christ, the Prince of Peace, and ask Him for the peace that passes all understanding I pray that you will receive his gift of salvation into your heart and that you will leave this building today knowing that when you face death, everything will be okay. When you meet the creator God, he will welcome you into his kingdom as his friend and not reject you as his enemy. Consider your heart. Consider your soul. Ask yourself, do I know this peace Is this peace something that's endured over the time? 
Now, before we look at the second feature of this peace that Jesus gives, I want us to notice the contrast that is given. Jesus says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And the contrast is given between Christ and the world. And once again, we find Jesus meeting the disciples exactly where they are. Where are they? They are in the world in a physical sense. They are among those who are evil. They live in a domain that does not value the teachings of God. They live in a sphere where men are at war with Christ and others. And Jesus is reminding his disciples that in such a place, in the world, tribulation must be expected. It must be welcomed as the norm. Persecution, affliction, torment, heartache, disappointment will be what the believer meets with in this life. And this is helpful. Because Jesus doesn't pretend that life is something different than it is. He doesn't falsely represent the Christian life. He doesn't keep the disciples from knowing what reality is. Like some false teachers on the television today who will tell you that you can have your best life now. Every day is a Friday. And you can just prosper if you come to Christ. No. Jesus tells them the truth. Jesus tells the disciples that living in this world, living in this place that is cursed by sin and influenced by Satan, the prince of the power of the air, is not a place of peace. It is a place of tribulation. It is a place of trouble. It is a place of problems. It is a place of despair. It is a place of pain. It is a place of hardship. It's a place of suffering. Jesus does not deny all these things. And yet, notice, he emphasizes the fact that while all this is true, living in him, in this world, is a place of peace. And this brings us to the second main point, which is the stimulus of peace. So we see first the source of peace. Where is the source of peace? It's in the one speaking. It's in the one who is first given peace by his gospel. It's in Jesus Christ alone. Second, we find the stimulus of peace. And in Jesus' words, be of good cheer, we have a straightforward exhortation. Having given the disciples the source of peace, Jesus says, listen men, it's time for you to cheer up. Can you imagine the disciples thinking, This is the last time they're going to see their master face to face. And they're thinking about next week and they're thinking about next month. And they're thinking about the details of their master being crucified. And they're looking at Jesus very worried, very fearful, anxious. All this has come to this point. And Jesus looks them eye to eye and says, listen. Cheer up. Be of good cheer. It's time for you to have courage. It's time for you to stop going around sulking in your worries. It's time for you to stop looking like you just bit a lemon. 
And it's almost as if Jesus says, I know that your hearts are troubled. I know that you are confused. I know that you are filled with sorrow, but you must not let anxiety paralyze your faith. And notice the motivation following the mandate. Notice the drive behind the demand. Look at the encouragement behind the exhortation. Jesus says, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And there is the gasoline that is given to ignite the fire of peace in the midst of trouble and tribulation. Jesus' claim of victory over the world is a reference to his death, burial, and resurrection. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus conquered and cast out the ruler of this world, which is the devil. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus broke the power of him who holds the power of death, delivering them who through fear and death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus' overcoming the world means that he offers his people, as Peter says, a living hope in the midst of tribulations providing to us a promise, Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't want you to miss the present tense usage of the words, I have and I have overcome the world. Think about it. At this point, Jesus has not yet been crucified. He has not yet been raised from the dead. And yet Jesus speaks as if it has already been done. How is this? This is because it will be done. And it will be done because Jesus is God. And as God, Jesus is sovereign over all. He is sovereign over evil men and their evil purposes. He is sovereign over Satan. He is sovereign over satanic schemes. He is sovereign over sin. And He is sovereign over death. And listen, church, we can be of good cheer in the midst of all our tribulation. We can have peace in the midst of our trials, knowing that Christ has promised us spiritual conquest in the midst of all the chaos. And of all the apostles, the apostle John caught this truth. The Apostle John stood firm on this reality. This one truth, Jesus overcoming the world, was a truth that captivated captivated the mind of John. And he writes of it not only here in the Gospel of John, but also in 1 John. 1 John 4, verse 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do you see the contrast? God and the world. Believers are in the world. But we can have victory and strength and hope and peace in this place of trouble when we are in God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And it's not faith in faith, it's faith in Jesus Christ. 
The source of the overcoming is not in ourselves. It's not in those things that we conjure up in our mind to believe. The source is in Christ. And we often stop here, but John's writings do not end there. The theme of victory continues in the final book written by John in the concluding book of our Bibles. And what is the book of Revelation but a book of victory through the conquering of the Lamb? You see, the book of Revelation is not a dark, depressing book of defeat. It's a book of hope. It's a book of triumph. It's a book of encouragement. And you see, just as the culmination of Jesus' words in John chapter 14 through 16 are, Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So the final book in the entire canon of Scripture is the same. Throughout Revelation, Jesus is saying the exact same thing. He is saying, Be of good cheer. The victory is mine. And He speaks it as if it is in the present tense. It's going to happen I will not fail. There will be tribulation, but in the end, I will overcome it all and give to those who know me savingly everlasting peace. That's the theme of Revelation. And here we are worried about missiles and bombs and famines and dragons and creatures that look so strange. And we become fearful of it. And just like the disciples... Jesus is saying, cheer up. Don't live in despair. Look beyond Fox. Look beyond CNN. Look beyond MSNBC. Look beyond C-SPAN. And look to the one who has given us victory. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you troubled about the thought of another world war coming? And this world war containing nuclear weapons? Are you anxious of the thought of economic instability, which may lead to a true serious time of famine? Are you restless about the security of your job? Are you distressed about some health problem, some difficult circumstance that you have just met with? Do you want peace in the midst of problems that you meet with in this world? The answer to your problems is found here in our Bibles. It is given to us in John chapter 16, verse 33. True lasting peace is found exclusively in Jesus Christ. True lasting peace comes by believing His promise. True lasting peace flows from our communing with Him on a day-to-day basis. True lasting peace comes by claiming our positions as conquerors. You see, if we are in Christ, we are conquerors. If we are in Christ, we are overcomers. So rather than looking at this world thinking, we can't go on, we can't win, we can't know victory, we need to look at this world saying with Paul, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. From the most minute details of your life to the most Major setbacks. I can do all things, not through myself, 
Not through psychology, not through my intellect, not through my personality, but through Christ who strengthens me. And listen, this is Christianity 101. This is nothing new. What I am telling you is not some innovative man-made philosophy. It's the truth of Scripture. It's the mind of Christ which is sufficient to help us in our spiritual life. I know many professing Christians who live in a state of discouragement and depression. I know many who justify their depressing thoughts with a thousand different excuses And what I want to show you this morning is Jesus doesn't justify living a sorrowful Christian life. He doesn't accept and He doesn't coddle us in living in a state of joylessness as the norm. Are you listening? I'm speaking to the Eeyore Christians this morning. Oh, I need to bring Winnie the Pooh into our theology to get your attention. (laughs) Oh, poor me. I can do nothing. Tigger has all the energy. I'm just Eeyore. Sometimes we're like Eeyore in this world. I don't have any hope. I don't have any joy. Everything's against me. You see, the children are paying attention now. (laughs) Just another dark, gloomy day. Yeah, I know Christ. He's the joy of my salvation. But I really don't have joy. The disciples are your Christians. Christ says, that's not the way of the Christian life. Be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome the world. And do you realize when the disciples caught that truth, we find them igniting in praise and prayer and evangelistic efforts and we have the victories recorded for us in the book of Acts. Now from this moment, John chapter 15, we do find Peter... Denying his master, we find Peter going back to fishing. We find a short season, catch it, a short season of the disciples still struggling, but it was not the totality of their life. It was not that which marked them for years. Sorrow came, yes, but joy came in the morning because Christ was their strength and hope. Does Jesus sympathize with us? Yes, absolutely. Does Jesus meet us where we are in our weakness? Without a doubt, we see that. But we see that Jesus gives us the cure to live above the world and above our problems by giving us the spiritual means of peace. And let me remind you as I close that the obtaining of this peace requires our activity. It requires us making choices. It requires our striving to separate ourselves from this world that sucks away our peace. 
It requires our endeavoring to know and believe Christ's word, which gives us peace. It requires our willingness to yield ourselves entirely to Christ and our constant acknowledgement that without Him we can do nothing. So let me encourage you and conclude by saying, if you are waiting for this peace to magically come upon you on its own, you are waiting and you will continue to wait in vain. Christ promises peace, but not to the exclusion of you seeking after this peace by the instrumentality of His Word. Some of you need to ask yourself, why is it I'm so anxious? Why is it I live in a state of joylessness. Why is it that I despair? Could it be that you're just going through a religious motion and you don't know fellowship with Christ and therefore you don't know peace? Stop fooling yourself. Some of you don't even read your Bible throughout the week. Your Bible just collects dust from Sunday to Sunday. And it's no wonder you don't know peace. Some of you are more entranced. You will listen to hours and hours and hours to news. You will scroll Facebook hours and hours and hour, but you will not think of Christ more than 20 minutes. No wonder you're so depressed. Am I speaking realities or am I making this up? Listen, I'm a human. I sit where you sit. I'm a man of like passions. I'm not a sinless angel. Just ask my wife. I know in those times, in those moments that I'm lacking peace, there's a reason. And it's not God. The problem is often with me. Me armbarring the means of peace. Listen, you must seek after peace. And you must seek after it continually. Listen to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 26, verses 3 through 4. Thou will keep him in perfect peace who just sits in the pew and waits for it to be magically come down from above through fairy dust. Isn't that what it says? No. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah, there's the source of peace, there's the source of strength, there's the source of joy. In the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. So let me ask again, where is your mind? On that which has not yet come? On that which could be a possibility, but not a reality yet. Where's your mind? On your problems? On this world? There's no peace there. Where's your mind on Christ? And then connected with that is, where is your faith? You show me where somebody's mind is, I'll show you where their faith is. You show me somebody's faith is, I will show you where their mind is. Where is your faith? On your money? On your wisdom? In the government, God forbid, or the Lord.
the one who has everlasting strength, the one who has promised us victory, the one who has overcome the world for us. In this world, you will have tribulation. Don't be fooled. It's coming. It's here. But be of good cheer. Why? Jesus has overcome the world.